This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Fairlay. Fairlay is a Bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events, the Bitcoin price, or current affairs. You earn money if your predictions are correct. Head over to fairlay.com slash epicenter, that's F-A-I-R-L-A-Y dot com slash epicenter to place your first bet today. Hello, welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sébastien Couture. And I'm Brian Farman Crane. Uh, today we have with us Sean Wilkinson. He's the founder and lead developer of Storage, so written Storage A. Um, we've talked about decentralized applications a bunch of times on the show. Uh, we've had uh, Ethereum on twice, uh, or just recently we had the Coinify with uh, Tom Ding, where we talked about this. But this is the first time uh, we're actually having uh, someone in charge of a decentralized application on. And I'm super excited that we have the chance to kind of dive deep into an example of that. And hopefully we'll also get your understanding a bit better, actually, the, the promise of decentralized applications uh, in general. Uh, so, hey, Sean, it's good meeting you. Hello. Uh, thanks for coming on. So uh, where do you want to get started first? Uh, here to talk all about storage and uh, where do you want to start? So uh, actually, what we thought it would be interesting uh, would be to hear a bit about uh, your background uh, before we get start, uh, kind of dive into storage. So uh, can you tell us how did you get into Bitcoin and how did that lead to ending up in storage? Sure, sure. So I started with Bitcoin about 2012. Uh, I had a friend that was mining. So that's a cool thing. I'm not using my GPU for anything else. So I started mining as well. A nice little 6950. Then I said, eh, that's making my room too hot. It's making all this noise. So I stopped mining. And then Bitcoin kind of gained a little traction. I came back and looked at it and said, hey, this is actually a pretty interesting concept. Uh, so about 2013, I got involved in Bitcoin uh, core development. Uh, started building up some of my own Bitcoin projects, doing a little bit of freelancing. And then I ended up working for BitShares about the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Uh, and then I left from there and started working on storage. So my own uh, decentralized cloud storage platform that kind of incorporated uh, all this Bitcoin stuff, all this blockchain technology into an existing ecosystem. Um, and uh, I have a traditional background in uh, CS. So I got my bachelor's in computer science from Morehouse College. Uh, this year. So I kind of look at Bitcoin and the blockchain as simply tools that you can use for other platforms and other things. And that's where it kind of get kind of came together uh, to build storage. And so you're based in Atlanta, right? That is correct. That is correct. We have BitPay down here, Bitcoin Magazine, Camp BX. So it's a nice little place. I understand you just got back from a, from a little trip in, in Las Vegas where you were attending a couple of different conferences. Indeed, I did a triple conference. I went first to the Coins in the Kingdom in Orlando. Then I went to Coin Agenda. Well, I caught the edge of Inside Bitcoins. Uh, and then I went to Coin Agenda. Then I went to Hashers United. So uh, those were all in Vegas. So just got back today. Actually, I got back from the airport a few hours ago and uh, ready to get back to work. Awesome. All right. So where do you want to go next? Uh, I guess maybe a, a brief overview of storage and what it does. Yeah. Tell us about storage and, and perhaps about the company as well. Sure. Sure. 
So storage is a decentralized cloud storage platform. Basically, what that means is we want to build a file storage network where you can store your files, your videos, your pictures, or whatnot on this network that is doesn't have any central controls like a company like Dropbox or Google Drive. Because when you once you start getting into centralized companies that manage your data, you you hope they would be a good steward for that data. But uh, it turns out there's all these different privacy and security problems. Uh, there's, you know, A, the case where they give access uh, to the government to peruse through your files, like Dropbox. Um, we, we saw that with kind of the PRISM leaks and the PRISM information. And number two, there's just like security breaches. So they just fail to, to protect the, the file. So we saw, what, the other day, day or two ago, that Snapchat, uh, a third-party application through Snapchat got hacked. And so all these photos and, and media uh, got exposed. So the idea is that if we remove the company control, we remove that central point and only give uh, the users access to the file. So they only have the passwords to those files and not a company or no nobody in between, then it's a lot more secure and private. The other thing is, since this is a network, a peer-to-peer network that's made up of users, we essentially, instead of having a central server farm or a central server, central company, we actually have the users contribute space to the network. And so they can earn money, they can earn cryptocurrency for doing that. So it's really about building a cloud built by and for the users where they control it rather than a company or a centralized entity. Uh, so we think that's a lot more efficient system. It's faster. It's cheaper. It's more private, uh, more secure. Uh, so uh, that's a, a general summary. It sort of it sort of sounds similar to the promise of Bitcoin. So when you say that, you know, uh, you Decentralization essentially is is the issue with with cloud storage. It's a lot of the same problems that we experience in the financial sector, right? So uh, a lot of that overlaps into the storage space, I guess. Right, right. So yeah, you have Bitcoin whose value proposition is say, okay, here is a medium of exchange, a currency that is not controlled by any central bank, so they can't print it off uh, or whatnot. For storage, you know, you have a value proposition along the same lines where, okay, it's a storage network uh, where you have control of your files, not a company. And so that there's a whole bunch of other things that come with that that, that really make it stand out in terms of features uh, and pricing and security. So um, why do you f- why do you think that uh, storage and uh, cloud storage lends itself so much to decentralization? Is it uh, that it makes available those resources for the first time? Do you think it's the efficiency? It's the trust? Um, can you go into this a bit? Sure, it, it's all of those things, really. I mean, you, you could simply sell it on feature sets alone. So think about Amazon S3, a, a large, large, large uh, cloud computing and, and storage interface for the entire internet. And they'll have a switch failure and a quarter of the internet will go down because Amazon Web Services is down. So, you know, people are losing money. They aren't so happy. Versus you look at Bitcoin. When has it gone down in the past five years? You, do you know the numbers on that? Can you guess? 
Probably none. <laughs> well, probably none. So we've we've had some hard forks and some network yeah. difficulties, but it's a total of maybe four or five hours for the past five years. Um, and so that's that's a pretty good uptime measurement. Uh, so in, in terms of decentralization, you start to eliminate failures uh, in the system. Then you get into portions. Again, it's, it's aspects like privacy. Since there's no central server, there's no central thing to essentially hack or expose or, or, or get into. Uh, so you could have a, a relay node in the network that gets destroyed or hacked or whatnot. doesn't matter because uh, you can't read any of the intermediary information. So let's say a miner goes down or it, it gets broken into. It has no effect on the Bitcoin network. Same thing for the storage network. A particular node gets shut down or hacked or falls off some server rack has no effect on the network because it's just routing that information through is providing uh, an additional portion to the network. But you really have to destroy large amounts of the network to have really any effect. So let's kind of take this, uh, what you've been talking about, and go a bit into the, the architecture of storage. So as, as far as I understand, right, on uh, the files essentially get cut into pieces and then uh, stored by a whole large number of uh, nodes in the network. And, and then there's the uh, redundancy aspect. Is that correct? Correct. So let's kind of step through the lifetime of a file on this network. So you have, let's say, cat.jpg. And you want to upload it to the storage network. You want to store this awesome cat picture that you took. So you take this file. It would go into the client software sitting on your computer. It would encrypt that file with keys that only you control. It would split that file into multiple pieces using erasure encoding. And then it would distribute those broken up encrypted pieces to multiple people on the network. So the idea is that you have, um, let's say, for example, three people who are hosting the redundant chunks of these files. And so if one goes down, no big deal. The network's going to check that and say, okay, that person who was supposed to be hosting that chunk is not there anymore. So we can recover that from the existing chunks. And so from that portion, we have all these files or bits of chunks floating around the network. It's encrypted on your computer, so it doesn't matter who's listening and on the data connection or who has a chunk in that file. It's encrypted. They have no idea how the pieces go together. On the other side of that, you want to retrieve that cat picture and essentially uh, maybe share it with someone else. So you take the hash of the file. So this is the identifier for the file. So it's just broken up in bits and pieces spread across the network. So we have these identifiers for the file so we can find these pieces. And then we have the keys so we can uh, decrypt them and put them back together. And so I have to keep these myself or if I want to share with a friend, I share him the identifiers and the decryption keys. And then either of us can go to the network, retrieve these files and download and decrypt them. And so there's no kind of problems in terms of middlemen or people stealing or hacking the files because... Again, they don't have access to the decryption keys for the file unless you shared it with them. And they don't necessarily know how these pieces fit together. 
So that's kind of a general overview of the lifetime of a file as it goes to this network. Now, one of the cool portions of this is a peer-to-peer network. So one thing people kind of question about is speed. So essentially, it's the speed of a peer-to-peer network. If you've ever used the torrents or BitTorrent, you, you know that this is quite fast. So you have a file that you distribute out, and you have it spread among all these people. Well, you can download all those chunks back simultaneously. So under scale, uh, essentially, you can retrieve that file back. Um, the, the, the bottleneck is literally your connection. The network is going to expand and scale. To what about the connection speed of the people hosting your file? You'll depend on those as well, no? Well, no, it'll, it'll add up like a, a Tor network. So essentially, I can be downloading this piece from this guy and this piece from this guy and this piece from this guy all simultaneously. Uh, so you kind of add those connection speeds up. So I had a question about that. This is something that I, that I thought about a lot because typically when you use when you use BitTorrent, your connection speeds are quite fast because you're downloading from so many different parts at once, right? So is this is this sort of speed expected on storage? So there's two things that are rewarded in storage. One is actually physically storing the files and you're cryptographically proving to the other person or to the network that you're storing those files and you get paid for that. Two is the bandwidth portion. So you're essentially getting paid for transferring that file to someone else. So in terms of that, there's this competition to say, hey, I want this file. Uh, these guys are storing it. These guys are wanting to get that file to me as fast as possible because those are the ones that are going to get the payment. Those are the ones that are going to get the reward. Uh, so it's up to for the people who are we call farmers on the network who are providing this resource uh, to essentially compete and get that file to you as fast as possible. Okay, so there's there's in fact some sort of a competition going on between different farmers or I guess storage providers, maybe another way to call them, to provide you those files as fast as possible, and and those who can provide them first get get paid. Correct. Okay. Is there a blockchain somewhere in there? Yes, uh, so we make heavy use of the Bitcoin blockchain and we're also uh, experimenting with other, some other blockchains. So essentially what we're using now uh, in terms of the Bitcoin blockchain is we have storage coin, which is a counterparty asset. And of course, counterparty is running on the Bitcoin yeah. blockchain. Uh, so that is the cryptocurrency that we use for buying and selling space inside the storage network. And then we have other use cases uh, in terms of using the blockchain to keep track of files, uh, where files are, uh, to transfer encryption keys and various different methodologies that we use the blockchain. Okay, so you use the blockchain uh, for for different aspects such as uh, uh, sending money to pay for um, the service provided, but also to send information or to store the information of like where are the files? The files themselves are not stored on the blockchain. Yeah, I know, but the the location or... Correct, correct. So we use the blockchain uh, as a mediation method and also know where the files are, what's the state of them in the network. Um, But we we don't just use the Bitcoin blockchain. We're exploring other blockchains as well uh, that we can use because we can use multiple blockchains as once. So uh, for for that those other things such as like uh, you know the mediation message or uh, like communications between uh, different nodes 
Um, I presume you, are you also using Counterparty for that, or is it its own separate uh, storage blockchain? Um, can you go maybe a little bit more into that? Sure, sure. So there's uh, many, many different types and many different applications, many different use cases. Um, so essentially, we can use the Bitcoin blockchain as that, you know, cryptocurrency method and use that, uh, other platforms to essentially keep track of the files. Uh, so essentially there, the way we're building out storage is kind of one step at a time. And so we're looking at some of the existing technology that we have out there in terms of building out mediation methods and whatnot. And so we can have oral curls or whatnot enforce those mechanisms. And those work to a degree. But we're looking, also looking to some future platforms that are being developed like Ethereum, uh, and whatnot, uh, to build out contracts to essentially make the data network smarter, uh, to be able to have not only essentially service level agreements. So you say, I'm going to have this file and I'm going to provide uh, this level of, of, of uptime for this particular file and this speed. And so you do that, um, but you might need uh, someone watching the network or some kind of oracle to, to enforce that. But then we can start making that easier and start using things like Ethereum and some of these other smart contract uh, platforms to make them more enforceable. Uh, so it can work on every level, but essentially there's some portions that can use some of these future platforms to make it easier for us and essentially add to the feature set and add to the cool stuff we can do. So it really depends on a, a particular use case. If you give me a specific one, I can dive more into it uh, or we could just leave it at, at the kind of the general state. So Sebastian, you said you tried it out today? Yeah, actually, well, I mean, I just sent a file to, to Sean, actually, uh, before we started this. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have two applications that we're working on. So I, I was able to up, I was able to upload a file quite simply just by drag and dropping it on, on, the, on the web interface for the, for the beta of uh, Metadisk. Um, Correct. And, so we have uh, two applications uh, that we're working on. Metadisk, uh, which is kind of your drag and drop uh web version of Dropbox and then DriveShare, which allows users to sell their hard drive space to the network. Uh, so Metadisk has kind of been floating right there uh, in a kind of alpha beta stage. And we're uh, continuing to work very hard on DriveShare and getting that integrated in. So uh, we, we have some stuff floating around that people can play with. Now, is this, this version of Metadisk that's online right now, is that something that people can use uh Today, I mean, can we, can we communicate this URL or not? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the URL for Metadisk is node1.metadisk.org. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for storing all your super important files on there. Uh, it's it's a very, very rough development beta that we're constantly playing around with. So, of course. Uh, you can use it if you want to share uh uh, share a file with your friend or like cat pictures. Uh, don't look at us if, if it gets deleted <laughs> through some kind of development update or bug or whatnot. So, so uh, you can try it out. Just don't rely on it. I want to kind of go into these apps. So the, the, uh, essentially this MetaDisk app is going to be the first uh, real uh, version of your decentralized Dropbox platform. It's 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 very nice. I mean, it's it's a web version, uh, so you can essentially drop a file in there, and then you've got the link, and you can copy that link to somebody else. Um, 
how how do you see things evolving? Do you see, because I mean, that's not really how people use Dropbox today. People use Dropbox and Google Drive as a syncing service for them to kind of back up their files uh, on, on the cloud and, and have sort of the, the same file structure that they would have on your hard drive. Uh, is this something that you see um, happening in the future with, uh, with storage? Yeah, so essentially uh, we built on an API and then we built that uh, application on top of it. So that's just kind of a sample application. Uh, so we can drag and drop files and kind of use the network and get things started. But we really see other kind of applications in terms of decentralized video, decentralized audio, decentralized images, web services running on the storage platform, and then people building out or us building out apps that more function like Dropbox uh, that use the existing APIs that we use to build uh, that application, but instead making uh, a more syncing application that you're used to. Um, so we're working on building some of those things out, and we already have the the platform and the API to to do that. Uh, we just need okay. to sit down a little bit more and actually physically code uh, that syncing portion on top. So even something like uh, decentralized uh, web hosting, is that something that could be done? Yeah, so that's actually one of our major pushes. Uh, so in terms of that, the, the thing that we're trying to focus on first uh, is media. So images, video, audio. Uh, so you can particularly have, uh, you can store your content on storage. You can have the storage network serve that content. Um, and so we're also looking at ways to also embed web pages in there. Is that performance-wise, uh, how is that going to compare to web hosting services people use today, whether it's like, you know, running um, their own server or to something like, um, you know, Bluehost? So we see it uh, best uh, using our current methods and APIs as almost a, a CDN or a content distribution network. Uh, so you can essentially run just the static pages and the database stuff off your own uh, web host, website, server, uh, be it a small or uh, one or whatnot. And then we take care of like all the backend assets that take up a majority of the processing power and space and, and, and whatnot. So in terms of that, we really see it, it's starting to replace some of the content services because of the feature sets it, it involves. So let's say YouTube, for example, um, there's inherent takedown notices and uh, whatnot. You'll, you'll upload a particular video and some copyright institution, whether or not that's a valid takedown or not, uh, they'll remove it. So you have censorship within YouTube. And a lot of people don't like that. Um, so uh, we build out and we have demos of this uh, on our on our website. Uh, if you look uh, at our forum, we, we did the little app contest and people built these apps out. So you can have a decentralized video player that's running on your website that doesn't go to YouTube, but goes to the storage network. So that particular file that's uploaded can never be taken down or destroyed or whatnot. The other portion is uh, the fact that it's running on a peer-to-peer network. Uh, so that file can be distributed to a server or caching server that's geographically close uh, to the users. And we can distribute all uh all over the place. And this kind of auto scales and all balances itself. Uh, so you can start getting really good performance out of uh, just average users that really don't care about the privacy or 
centralization or censorship uh, aspect of it. They're just like, okay, my download is, is going a little bit faster because uh, that person who's serving it is down the street um, rather than in some data center uh, a long ways away. So we see both application developers kind of using it for the platforms uh, initially for the content distribution and then starting to get into actually serving full web pages and, and full content through the network. So th- I guess there's a potential here to, to, to disrupt a whole lot of different types of industries, right? I mean, you can, you can disrupt uh, uh, YouTube, you can disrupt Spotify, you can disrupt the whole CDN industry, essentially, you know, with this kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so you have to start thinking of, of, of storage not as a singular application, not just a decentralized Dropbox, um, but a platform that allows things like that to be built. No, I, I definitely see it as more as just a, of a decentralized Dropbox. But um, how do you how do you foresee that this will happen? I mean, how, how how do you plan on enabling people to develop these apps on top of your platform? I think that's that's a core component of of being able to develop this is providing that platform for people to come on easily learn the API and develop apps on top of that. It, do you, do you, do you think of sort of like an app store or something where people can develop apps on top of storage? How do you, what do you see there? Sure. Sure. So essentially uh, that's what we're building out through MetaDisk. So MetaDisk is kind of our full node, full access to the network uh, application and code base. So one of the things that I saw with Bitcoin is that it was, very hard to get into development and very hard to get it running and syncing and all this kind of stuff. So when I was starting to design storage, I said, hey, instead of having this be some specialized client, let's build it into an application that can run on the web. And so any old uh, programmer that has at least some semblance of an idea how to work an API can connect to any one of these nodes or run it himself and start to develop applications for it. Uh, so we don't particularly see an app store uh, for this, but we particularly see people essentially taking the storage software and white labeling it. So they'll take the storage software as a backend to store all their data for a game or some kind of application, and then they'll essentially have a product built on top of that. So we don't necessarily care about people, you know, sticking the storage name on it, just that they're using it as a backend. They're using the network. And there's a question actually in the chat room. Uh, somebody is asking if you could build a relational database like a MySQL database on, on top of storage. So that's kind of like on our wish list. Um, there's uh, essentially what happens is with current blockchain technology, it, it's very hard to do that in a scalable manner. So I can have some content like a picture or a video on there and I can insert that and I can get that around the network. Um, that's, that's a more immutable source of data. That's a static source of data. Once you start getting into relational databases, you essentially have to make things highly mutable and highly scalable and make them very fast. You don't want to make a database query and then it takes like five minutes to execute. Um, so. In terms of that, there's other blockchain t- technologies that we're looking at. Um, and we're working with, uh, I think, my tables on this and some other people to kind of figure out this concept of how we can take this blockchain technology and make it fast and make uh, be able to have wrappers and APIs to be able to make these database systems that are decentralized, 
have no central points of failure, um, have no central company, and run off of uh, something like a blockchain. Uh, but the the technical portions of how we do that specifically are still kind of being thought uh, thought of, still kind of being worked on. Um, the current blockchain technology is not quite there to get a very fast and very scalable database. So if if other people will kind of white label um, storage to run their own applications on that. Does that mean they will use the same uh, the same blockchain, the same currency, for example? Um, correct. Correct. Okay. So I, I, I guess in, in that sense, it's, it is uh, it's sort of like you saying what you mentioned before, that essentially storage provides an API and then people write their applications on that, that may have whatever kinds of uh, looks on the front end. Uh, but on the back end, it's this uh, one network uh, of peers, I guess, in a little bit uh, like counterparty built on top of Bitcoin, but it's the same nodes, the same mining. Right, right. And, and, and that introduces some cool features. So you can have someone who makes uh, pinkbox.com and someone makes uh, redbox.com. And essentially, someone can store files on pinkbox, uh, which is this completely other application, and then retrieve it on redbox. So it, 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 it adds some cool interoperability between the applications because they share the same underlying data platform. Oh, that is uh, cool. So that's, that's something you can never do with something like uh, Dropbox and Google Drive. You can't store a file on Dropbox and then go ahead and retrieve it on Google Drive. Oh, that is brilliant. So if you, you'd be like using Dropbox, you say like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. I want to switch to Google Drive. Uh, and, but all your files are already there, right? You just switch over. Exactly. Um, so then we start to get in the cool market aspects uh, and competition where people are using a, a same underlying network, but now they have to compete for features and all this stuff adding on top of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if they don't keep the users happy, they don't keep those feature sets up. It's easy to switch. Know, two seconds later, I'm just going to go to the next website and all my files are going to be there. So it really encourages people to build out cool applications. Uh, to, to grab the storage users' base uh, attention. What, what else do you think will happen uh, because of that interoperability that perhaps today we can't even, uh, like, really seems um, unexpected or something that wouldn't be possible today? Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of all up for grabs. We're just kind of building out, you know, this tool set. Um, we're, we're building the hammer and, and giving you some nails and saying... Good luck. <laughs> Figure it out. Build some cool stuff. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago, we, we couldn't even thought, I mean, just look at, look at Bitcoin in 2009. Could we have even predicted all the cool applications and use cases that, that, uh, we built so far and are trying to build, uh, when, when Bitcoin just came out. So I think it's the same way with storage. We can't really speculate. And all the cool stuff that we could build, um, but we definitely know there's some some cool ideas out there. So these are sort of the user-facing apps, right? Uh, but, but I'd like to come back to DriveShare and this proposition of being able to sell your your hard drive space essentially on uh, on the storage network. Um, this opens up, a, a, I guess, even some new business models uh, because now as as just as a guy who's got a computer and some storage laying around, I can sell my storage online, but I can also uh, 
as you've talked about in, in some of your blog posts, uh, get a VPS um, and a virtual private server and rent out some space on there. So can you elaborate on that? Sure, sure, sure. So there's like really two people we're trying to sell this on, at least initially. So A, the people who already do mining, right? They understand this uh, cool cryptocurrency mumbo jumbo stuff, and they know how to run the applications and make it work. Uh, so in terms of that, uh, we kind of want those people to start running this kind of drive share software, which is, is a really cool value proposition. You say, instead of doing all this hard computational work and just crunching hashes, let's take this resource that we have and let's sell it to somebody else on the other side of the network and earn coins that way. Um, the other portion is, you know, the average user who's going to like, oh, I can earn money selling my hard drive space, downloads an application, hits go, and he's, he's earning cryptocurrency. So the cool thing is it, it adds, uh, it lowers the barrier to entry, entry to the cryptocurrency market. So for Bitcoin, you know, you're not going to earn but a penny trying to mine on a, a regular computer nowadays. But for an average user, they could add, earn a couple of bucks of cryptocurrency and kind of get their feet wet in terms of uh, storage and farming. So there, so, so there's kind of two aspects to it and two user groups that we're trying to initially appeal to. Can you talk a bit more about the profitability? Do you think it will actually be, do you have any ideas? So let's say I have 50 gigabytes on my hard disk. I say like, I can make that available. Um, what kind of, what would I expect? Like, could that be a few dollars a month or more than that? Sure. So if you look on our website, driveshare.org, uh, that's driveshare.org, we have a calculator that you can put in a number of gigabytes and select uh, a rate or a cloud provider equivalent and hit go and it'll give you like the, the, the estimated uh, cost per month or the estimated earnings per month. Uh, when you start to doing research into cloud storage, you, you start to find how much these guys overcharge uh, for their services. It's actually anywhere from 10 to 100x. So if you look at a provider like EM, uh, EMC, they charge, last time I looked, uh, about $3,000 for a terabyte. So you can go to Best Buy and grab a two terabyte drive for 60 bucks. So when you start to actually crunch these numbers, there's there's these huge margins uh, that these guys are, are are operating at. And one, it's for a profit motive, and and two, they have a lot of costs associated associated with it, right? They have servers, they have employees, they have maintenance, they have heating, they have cooling, they have electricity, the insurance, investor profits, building space, all these things factor into those costs. For the storage network, we eliminate all those. You just download an application, hit go, and that's it. So we've eliminated all these these costs and these profit motives that you know these large corporations charge because they they they've really cornered the market. Um, so at least the for the people that participate initially, I think they'll they'll be quite happy uh, with the amount they earn. So um, it's everything's based on a market. In our ecosystem, so you have you're renting out your hard drive space, you're setting your price that you'll sell that hard drive space for, and someone on the other side of that will 
uh, set the price that they want to buy storage space for. And so you meet on a market. Uh, so we want to make it less of a singular application or a singular use case. It's a market uh, for data. And so those tug back and forth to, to get good price discovery and, uh, and, and good pricing based on demand. So do you think it will mostly be people uh, seeing an opportunity there uh, and then renting space on, for example, Amazon or other cloud storage providers and, and then making that available uh, on a storage or, or will it be people having space on their own computers at home? I think it will be, it'll be both. Um, so it all depends on kind of the demand of the network and the need of the network for data. Um, so in terms of that demand for data might outpace, uh, the amount that people can share on their hard drives or physically plug in. So then you'll look to external services to kind of augment that as that, that begins to grow. So it'll, it'll be a mixture of things all trying to cater to this market demand of people who want storage and are buying it from the network. Like you make some pro some projections as to the types of profits that you could earn uh, if you by selling VPS uh, storage. So essentially, you have a cost of about six hundred thirty five dollars per month, and you could make a gross profit of eight thousand dollars per month. A am I reading this right? Uh, so if you look at so it's again it's decided on the market prices, it's decided on the demand. Uh, we have, like I said, a, a calculator on there that what we do is just compare it against different cloud storage providers. So we say this amount of gigabytes you have, this is the rate of Dropbox or Google Drive or all these other services. So you can kind of estimate, look okay, at how much would they earn, how much would I earn, how much would I price on this market? Uh, so I, I can't predict a market. Of course. If I could predict a market, you know, I'd be buying and selling Bitcoins, making, you know, millions of dollars and I'd be off on my guy. So yeah. we're just providing a flexible platform um, and the market will decide what the market decides. Of course, if, if it's true, right, Sebastian, like the numbers you were reading out, then what we'd expect is that lots of people come in, uh, start offering uh, storage space and the, the price would be uh, driven down to, I guess, the marginal costs of people, uh, you know, providing that. Um, yeah, so, so that's essentially what we would hope. Uh, but the, the thing is we have to think of is the cloud storage and computing industry is a $150 billion industry. So essentially we have to saturate that 150 a year, uh, dollar industry before we start driving down the cost. Uh, and so at that point, it's a lot bigger than Bitcoin and a lot of other, uh, portions in this cryptocurrency space. So the cool thing is unlike mining, uh, for farming, there's existing demand. There's who doesn't use Dropbox or Google Drive or any of these cloud storage companies to store their data. And even large corporations are using massive uh, portions of data. So there's huge billions and billions of dollars of demand uh, that we have to cater to first before we'll even start to drive down the prices. So but we can still make those nice 10x, 100x margins that all these other cloud providers uh, make at least in the early stages. What would be interesting would be, uh, much like a lot of the financial industry is starting to now wake up to Bitcoin uh, and perhaps even taking advantage of some of those technologies themselves, would be for large cloud uh, storage and uh, providers like uh, Dropbox and Google and, and Amazon to also start doing this kind of thing and also oper start operating storage nodes. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, that it would be a nice welcome change for them to start to pay attention to privacy and encryption and all these other portions that we bring along with. Doesn't it, seem very likely to happen. Huh? Yeah, but it's it's very unlikely that a several billion dollar company is going to completely change their business model. Um, but hey, they might. Um, and I think it would be great for all of us. Now let's get into the to the crowd sale. So th- there was a crowd sale uh, that started, I guess, uh, a few a few weeks ago. That's now ended. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So we had a crowd sale around uh, August-ish, and that's now since ended. We raised uh, 950 bitcoins uh, as a portion of that. Uh, so nice, decent chunk of change. Uh, so essentially the value proposition from for that is that uh, you participate in the crowd sale, and you from that you get early access to Metadis. Drive share, and then you get uh, some storage coins. So when the network starts up, you can buy and sell some space in the network. Uh, so those were kind of the three value propositions of the crowd sale. Um, so people uh, that way bought some uh, storage coin. Uh, can you t- tell us a bit about you know how many uh, storage coins were were given to people that way? How many exist uh, overall uh, right now, and and how is that going to develop in the future? Sure, sure, sure. So in that portion, um, a lot of people are signed up uh, based on their contributions for early access. And then the other portion is we have about 41 million uh, tokens that were bought uh, or yeah, purchased via the crowd sale. And uh, that is, uh, it's worth noting that that is our first crowd sale. So I think we're one of the only people who were intending to essentially do a multi-round crowd sale. Okay. So we kind of want people to see and actually play with and actually use the software uh, before they really start saying, hey, this is, you know, something that I actually want to purchase tokens in or early access to. Um, so we don't want to get into the whole butterfly labs. Yeah. yeah. Kind of never deliver Mount Gox kind of kind of thing so we can kind of start out slow people can see our progress people can see things coming out and so we can give them uh, another portion to be able to participate in the crowd sale once they say okay this is viable this is not just some crazy far-fetched kind of thing um so that's why we're kind of doing a multi-round process and that allows us to kind of mix rewards uh, based on what we're working on. Yeah, I'm just curious because, right, in a sense, it's like you can think of a storage as a startup, right? I mean, it's not uh, too different, although in some ways it is very different, right? Because uh, it's a decentralized thing. Um, and, and it's interesting to just see how these economics work. And, and, you know, I think Ethereum is one where, like, a lot of people looked into it. A lot of people, you know, it was because it's so uh, well publicized, such a, a big project. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to sort of understand here as well. So uh, uh, let me... Um, uh, let's go into that slightly more detail. You mentioned that uh, 41 million tokens were sold in that, that first round. Um, is Does that uh, correspond to, let's say, 10% of all the storage coin or, or storage coin? Um, or, or is there some valuation uh, you can attach to that? Sure. So essentially, we've hard cap uh, the number of storage coin that there's ever going to be 
at 500 million stores. Okay. Uh, so you can do the percentage cal- calculation on, on the percentage of tokens. Uh, 15% of those tokens uh, go to the developers to spend on apps and development and documentation. And the other portion to that that no one's done is uh, essentially 15% of that also goes to the community. Uh, so those funds are controlled by community members that were voted in uh, to essentially spend those funds for marketing or promotion or building apps. Um, so I, I always thought it important that the, uh, the, the people in the community, the developers communities have some kind of uh, token or usage to be able to promote adoption, uh, promote development via bounties and all those kind of portions. But the, the problem is, uh, that I saw working on other projects is that only the developers would have these tokens, right? Only the developers would have, uh, some X percentage or, or whatnot. And so the community leaders or the people in the community would have all these cool ideas on stuff they wanted to do, but they would have to ask the developers permission to be able to do that. And so I was like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, Give the, the developer some resources, but, but balance that by the exact same percentage for the community to have the exact same amount of resources. The community has the exact same amount of financial power. So you don't centralize all the tokens that you use for these projects in one group. No, you have two groups with equal financial power in the storage ecosystem. And that's worked out very well. For so, us. so you would be, um, uh, you know, part of the developers, right? Then the fifteen percent community, and then I guess about ten percent of the total went to the um, the people um, who invested in the crowd sale. So, how does that work with the other sixty uh, percent? Are those sort of held in reserve for future crowd sales, as you mentioned? Or? So, I wouldn't say invested. People bought early access to software in the crowd. Purchased, Um, yes. So we're not uh, getting in terms of, you know, we're not issuing unlicensed security (laughs) and all these these guys who promise. I I actually did want to ask about that uh, because I have asked a whole bunch of people who are all doing sort of similar things, like always, like, how how do you do that? What's the legal side? uh, Right, right. So we really don't want to get into that aspect of this being blatantly issuing, you know, illegal securities or whatnot, we develop software. And so the main value proposition of crowd sale is you get early access to the software so you can start mining and, and, and use these cool applications that have all of these different features. So that's what people are, are purchasing. And the tokens are kind of just the extra that's used as the fuel in the system to make it run. Um, so you bought a car and we gave you some gas with it. You have to go to the gas station, go buy more gas, but you can load up on gas now if you would like. Um, so essentially that's, that's kind of the, the portion to it. Uh, so the, the other tokens are just kind of held in reserve to be used for two main portions. One is, uh, future crowd sales, uh, that we hold and the other portion. So that's can be for the metadata and drive share applications or other applications that we want resources for, for other developers outside of us or inside of us to work on. Uh, the other portion is essentially early uh, farming. Uh, so the people participating in the crowd sale, we have this pool of funds that we can say, okay, here's, here's the resources that we want to host on the network. We want to 
let's say, for example, download all of YouTube and store it on the storage network. So we have some tokens to be able to kind of kickstart that and get that working. Uh, so, so that also means that there's not going to be like a, a mining and then a continual money increase because all the money that miners earn comes from people who, who pay for storage, right? It's sort of a closed circle. Right. So that's one of the things that I highly disagree with in, in terms of uh, building out uh, resource-based networks. Um, you have other portions and projects that Essentially, they have mining in them, and they're just devaluing the entire network. Uh, so we we don't want to do that at all. We don't want to devalue the token used in the network by this uh, this generation when we can use other methods to secure the blockchain and whatnot. So uh, I'm a pretty strong uh, proponent of not using mining when you don't really need it. And for proof of resource, actually, uh, when you start adding in mining portions, it 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 it. it start some really bad behaviors in terms of attacks that you really don't want in your network. And it, it adds more problems than it solves. Uh, so uh, we, we've thought of some some really alternate distribution methods. And then we use, of course, the Bitcoin blockchain via counterparty to actually secure the stuff. Uh, so, But we don't have to worry about this generation of tokens that's just, you know, devaluing everyone so we've got a couple more things we want to talk about but before we do that uh we'd like to talk about our sponsor fairlay fairlay is a bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events the bitcoin price and current affairs among other things and if you bet correctly you earn money so brian can you tell us what's a prediction market yeah absolutely so a, a prediction market is is, is a, a site or is a market where basically parties are matched up and they can pre uh, make predictions about things. So uh, we actually have a prediction today that is super um, relevant um, to the topic we're talking about. And uh, let me just pull that up. So uh, the prediction is whether in April 2015, the market cap of a store store storage uh, coin x or what exactly is the name yep storage coin x that's correct storage coin x or made safe coin is going to be bigger now i'm actually going to ask you about made safe uh, afterwards because i'm curious how those uh, uh projects compare but essentially that gives you sort of an opportunity if you believe more in one project or in the other project to you know take a position on that and you know see how it goes of course it would also be uh, for you sean perhaps if you want to uh, hedge your risk perhaps it could be something to bet on native i don't know to what extent those are competing but in in the end they do both provide uh, some kind of a, a cloud uh, storage solution um so if you want to check that out uh, you know you, you can um take a position there and, and see how things work out and uh, perhaps it also makes it a bit more exciting to watch how this space develops um, uh, what, what's your prediction there, uh, Sean? At, at the moment, I know uh, MateSafe is a much uh, a much bigger platform. Well, uh, at least the, the market cap is much higher. Sure, sure. Um, so in terms of that, I don't know. Uh, there's I'm obviously I'm, I'm I'm kind of biased, so so I'd probably have to say <laughs> uh, storage coin. Uh, but uh, in terms of that. Uh, a market cap is, is probably a, a, a not the best representation. Um, actually, our, our total amount of coins is mis misrepresented uh, on coin market caps. So 
as we kind of build out, those will probably be fixed. So our uh, essentially, uh, I'll actually do see if I can do the calculations here. But if you actually add the total amount of coins that that we're actually going to have and actually be created, uh, I think people are going to be like, wait a minute, why did they jump up? You know. Hundred uh, X or uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah I see it because oh, yeah, it only lists forty million right now yeah farming all those coins and so they've entered the market and so uh, we have a, a a kind of jump in market cap so uh, those numbers aren't completely accurate that that are on coin market cap right now so anyways if you want to take a position on that you can do so at fairlay.com slash epicenter uh, and you'll find that prediction in the in the Bitcoin section. And so we want to thank uh, Fairly.com uh, for the support of Epicenter Bitcoin. Absolutely. So uh, let's uh, actually use that as a great segue into something we just touched on now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how uh, storage uh, compares to uh, MadeSafe and also there's another project called BitCloud that uh, sounds really similar to me. Um, I'm not an expert in, in these, uh, these three projects, but uh, can you run us through uh, what the differences are? Also, so of course, people who want to take a position have some more uh, inside knowledge. <laughs> Sure, sure. So, uh, you, in terms of decentralized uh, cloud storage platforms, uh, you should be looking at storage, made safe, Siacoin, Permacoin, and Filecoin. Uh, so those are the five, uh, main portions that kind of look pretty promising in the space. Um, so I guess that your first question was in terms of uh, made safe. So we actually have a, a pretty good re- relationship with, uh, just about all these projects, including MadeSafe. Um, actually, we've been talking to them from the very beginning uh, of their kind of foray into the crypto space. Uh, so earlier in the year, when we were kind of doing our due diligence on storage with uh, the BitAngels, is when uh, they kind of stumbled upon MadeSafe and kind of doing something similar. Uh, so out of that discussion, uh, they kind of sold that, you know, crypto would be a, a good solution for them. And so they jumped in the Bitcoin space and, and had a very successful crowd sale. Um, and here we are. So we've been talking to them from uh, the very beginning. So so love what they're doing and uh, what they're building. So the difference between made safe and storage is essentially they're working on decentralized internet and we're more focused in terms of building out just decentralized storage. So they're folks a little bit more broad they have a lot more stuff that they have to code up ours is just getting the storage uh ecosystem and area but really um we're looking at all these platforms including sci and permacoin and filecoin and, and made safe and saying at the end of the day we mainly develop uh, applications here at storage or at least sample applications that can be expanded so if any of these particular platforms take off uh, and is actually viable uh, we'd be happy to implement it in our applications. Um, there's, you know, we can build out APIs. How would you do that? Uh, so that depends on the technical implica- uh, implementation of each one. But the idea is that these are decentralized open source file storage networks. So we can build APIs to make them interoperable. So we can have our MetaDisk app and you store a file on this MetaDisk app and essentially can plug into the the storage and the main safe network. So you can take your file and you can store it on the storage network, the main safe network. You can split it in half and do both. Um, so you can simply just 
increase the 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 the, the choices that the user has. Um, and again, it's it's all open source. It's all distributed. It's all decentralized. So I don't see any kind of reason why these platforms can't work together. Um, and we said publicly that we're we're going to take a non uh, competitive approach with all these other platforms because it's way better to just work together and build some really cool apps that mesh the platforms and really cool features that just mesh the platforms than trying to, you know, fight or compete or, or, or the like. Cause we're just getting starting out and we have $150 billion to saturate. So, uh, there's lots of stuff to do and there's yachts enough for everybody. Now, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to ask you, I guess, maybe a question that's on a lot of people's minds is, how do you make money with this? Like, how, how do you pay yourself uh, by developing Storage A and, and moving forward? How would your company make money? Sure, sure. So we kind of have two portions to this. A, one's the open source community side, and that's funded by crowd sales and built up by the users and developers and volunteers and whatnot. The other side that we have to that is Storage Labs, which is essentially a corporate entity that's uh, going to be uh, entering venture funding uh, pretty soon. And so essentially that's taking the uh, storage protocols and tool sets and wrapping up in a nice pretty bow and pushing it into uh, enterprise customers and whatnot. So think of it almost like starting BitPay or Coinbase in 2009 at the exact same time that you you launch and you're, you're building Bitcoin. And so you have immediate use cases into enterprise and things that you can start thinking about from the very beginning. And so you'll have a company that wants to use all the feature sets of storage in terms of privacy, security, cost savings, and but they don't understand or want to deal with all this Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, mumbo jumbo. So as Storage Labs as an entity can provide nice tool sets and abstract all that stuff out for them. And so they can use it just like they've been using Amazon S3 or all these other services. So we may just make it easy for them to to use as a tool and they don't have to care about the, the technical backend. So that's a bit of the sort of Red Hat Linux uh Type relationship that uh, people often mention as a, as a as a business model in a, in an open source space. Right, right. So, so it essentially is on the lines of that. Okay, interesting. Well, um, thanks so much. Is there something else you want to uh, talk about? I, I guess if people want to learn more about uh, storage, they can. Um, where, where can they reach you uh, or get involved in the project? Sure, sure. So, um, the the primary website that you want to go to is storage.io. S T O R J dot I O. S T O R J dot I O. And so that's where you can sign up for our mailing list to kind of get the status on the project, when things are going to be released, um, and, and kind of what we're doing in the space. And then you can look from there in terms of the applications that we're building and the demos that we have out. Um, so that's a great place to get information. Uh, if you like to get involved, we're, we're looking for more developers to, you know, build applications on top of storage that do cool things and play with our existing APIs. So you can get in contact uh, with us at hello at storage, S-T-O-R-J.io, uh, if you want to get involved that way. And we have also a form and some other mediums to get in contact with us in the community. Uh, 
towards probably the end of this year, beginning of next year, we'll probably do another crowd sale. So again, the main value proposition of the crowd sale is early access uh, to the software for storage. So we'll be pushing out very, very early versions of uh, DriveShare and Metadis fairly soon. But again, only the people who participate in the crowd sale will get access to that. Uh, so we'll open up that opportunity again once we get uh, feedback from our uh, initial participants. Uh, just very briefly, if you participate in the crowd sale, though, you also obtain, uh, I presume, you know, storage coin, right? Which then exactly. uh, you exactly. you could potentially, although I guess you are not intended to, uh, since it's not a securities offering, but you could use that to speculate on the, on the uh, you know, the future and the success of the platform, correct? Right. So, I mean, we're, we're more using the cryptocurrency, uh, for buying and selling space in the network and using it for early access. Right. Right. Um, it's a necessary point, but yeah, it's a cryptocurrency. People are going to do what they're going to do with it. Yes. So, <laughs> we, we have no hand that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I bought it to speculate. <laughs> so, uh, market will yeah, do if, it if some people do it, if, yeah, if some people do it, 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 it don't blame it on Sean. Uh, on yeah, Sean. don't blame it on me. I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm just developing software, you know? Uh, so... Okay, excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I think it was, it was super interesting to uh, go into that and uh, just see the sort of a, really the first time we had a decentralized application on uh, and not just talked about it sort of as a theoretical thing and as a we work on that broad area, but something really specific. And, and I'm actually um, really excited. I think it sounds like a great project. Yeah. As am I. <laughs> yeah, if I could, if I could just add, I, I gotta say that to me, this is probably one of the most exciting areas of of development in, in, in crypto and in decentralized apps because it's, it seems so obvious, right? I, I completely uh, agree. And, and also, it's it's something that everybody uses. I mean, it, to me, it, it's it's what I'm most most looking forward to in in terms of what what I could actually use uh, crypto for. I, I agree. It's it's just we have this tool set. We have this problem. They fit together quite well. Um, and like you said, it's just kind of the obvious next step. Uh, so that's, that's what we're really pushing towards. Yeah. I think that, I think the, 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 the next, uh, uh, I guess sector that needs to be, that needs to be, uh, disrupted like, like you're doing would be access to Wi-Fi. Yeah. So access to the internet is next. So we have to yeah. uh, solve decentralized uh, cloud storage and maybe decentralized compute. But uh, that mesh net is kind of that next third step. So one thing at a time. So when you're starting, when you're starting uh, uh, the, the mesh net.io? <laughs> it's probably already taken. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, there's plenty of exciting things in the space. So uh, always. Always good stuff to look out for. Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on again. Well, thanks, uh, for, thanks for you know letting us uh, talk about this topic, and I think uh, Sebastian will be excited to try it out. I'm going to be excited to try it out, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be excited to try it out. Yeah, maybe, maybe we can uh, do another talk once we get a little further and uh, start pushing some things out, and then we can really talk about the future. Absolutely, we'd love to come Definitely. back to this uh, you know, s at some point down the line. 
Um, yeah, and thanks so much for listeners for listening. We've had like 13 viewers on here the whole time, which is pretty cool because we just started doing Hangouts. So I think most people are like, almost everyone still use, you know, they listen to it as an audio podcast. Uh, but it's great to have actually some people uh, kind of live in. It's exciting. And we had questions it, too. We had people and actually we had the a question. And, no, yeah. that's, that's super exciting. So hopefully we see more of that in the future. Also for those who are just listening on audio, uh, we are doing live hangouts now so you can sort of watch it live uh, also ask questions interact um you can of course also follow us on twitter at epicenter btc will also let you know when the hangouts are happening uh so you'll know about that and uh, you can of course support us with your tips uh, which we do appreciate at epicenterbitcoin.com tips uh, you can also subscribe to a weekly newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com newsletter and uh, leave us an iTunes review. We would love that. And uh, you can let us know how we're doing, what we can do better. So, um, and what we're doing well, of course. Don't forget that. <laughs> so, uh, thanks so much. And we look forward to being back next week. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me.